So today in the Eater Upsell Studios, we are joined by Fabian von Haus-Valtiera, who is the chef proprietor, along with his partner, Jeremiah Stone, of two restaurants that we have talked about so much on the Eater Upsell in the past with other guests. It always, always, they come up all the time. Yeah, somehow. Like, that was that was one reason we're like, we gotta get him in here, because like every other episode, we're talking about Wild Air or Contra. Wild Air is secretly the third host of the Eater Upsell. It's yeah. just like in every episode, we talk <laughs> about how much we love It's the organizing principle of the show. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So great to be here. Finally. So tell us, we know because we're obsessed with Wild Air and Contra, but tell our listeners about Wild Air and Contra. Give us the like 30 second rundown on your restaurants. Hey, um, so Contra is a small uh, tasting menu restaurant. Uh, we do... About six to seven courses for $67 right now. Uh, it's all kind of influenced with the pro- uh, produce we can get in New York or in the States. Uh, very seasonal, very simple, uh, like subtle flavors. And uh, while there is kind of our spinoff of uh, what we wanted to... Uh, so at Contra, we have a bar, and we always envisioned that to be more of a celebration or like a wine bar where you could just go and have a couple of snacks uh, it didn't work out at Contra because everyone would get the tasting menu. Um, so we kind of, I mean, in that and, you know, also we have a pretty strong wine program. Our wine director, Jorge uh, Riera, is pretty good. So we wanted to open a wine bar. And then uh, while there falls in kind of like the middle of the spectrum between a wine bar and a restaurant. Um, so, yeah, it's like pretty simple food, a uh, lot of fun wines, uh, funky wines. And, yeah. I'm inclined to say that when you guys launched Wild Air, the sort of buzz about it when it first came out is you guys were like, yeah, this is like our casual thing. And it's down, it's right down the block from Contra and like, it's a wine bar, you can pop in. And then it like kind of immediately became, I'd say, as important to the food scene as your first restaurant, you know, which is a little bit more formal. And it is the restaurant that everyone, every all the visiting chefs seem to to end up at or go to or have their New York friends bring them to. I think it's arguably one of the coolest restaurants in New York, if not the coolest. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It was it was crazy. You know, I, when we opened Contra, it was, um, I mean, I guess it was more difficult. Uh, it took us more time to kind of create a... Uh, like a relationship with people, I guess just because of what it was. I, I think it was a very, I think it was very confusing at the time for certain people, like a tasting menu that was cheap, like super cheap. And, you know, wasn't, I mean, we don't have all those fine dining kind of touches. Like we've grown up, the restaurant has grown up a bit, you know, now we have like wine glasses with stems, um, <laughs> you know, we have like new tables, but you know, when we opened, it was pretty spare. I mean, we really opened with nothing, um, Jeremiah was doing the managing when we opened uh, and cooking on the line as well. So, you know, when we opened Wilder, thankfully we had time to kind of work out the kinks and know a little more about what New York was about. And I guess we, you know, one of the things we always want to do is try to form relationships with people, chefs, I mean, the community. And I think, uh, you know, thankfully people really embrace Wilder and, uh, I mean, we still want to do that. You know, I think it's it, for us is it's it's fun having good people in there because it just creates an energy that uh, that you don't get. You know, if you just get like, you know, your whatever people trying to go to a cool place or whatever. One of the things that I love about Wild Air and that when I've been having these like rhapsodic conversations with people about how much we all love Wild Air, which like happens with surprising frequency. One of the things that 
that keeps coming up is that Wild Air feels like these, you know, like Cavavan that you will run into in Paris or like, you know, some random like off the cuff place in Copenhagen that like this unprepossessing thing and then suddenly it's just like the best restaurant you've ever been to. And it's New York is so New York all the time. And Wild Air certainly feels like of New York, but there's such an informed sensibility of that young, cool wine and interesting food place in Europe that's behind it. Did you do that intentionally? Well, I think, you know, when when you live in those places, I think it's and I think you see it throughout the states in smaller cities. It's I mean, it's easier for young people to open a restaurant in a small city where rent is not that high, you know, where there like regulations aren't crazy. I think uh, and, you know, I think that's why Paris and Copenhagen are very much like that, because young people do their own places and it's kind of like their own personalities. And it just feels like a little different than than the norm. And I think New York, you know, I think you could be successful in many ways, but you could also fail in a lot of ways. And, you know, I think in the past couple of years, we've seen a lot of like younger people open places that have personalities that are a little different than, you know, your normal Italian restaurant or like French restaurant or something that feels like British. Um, you know, so I think I think we're going we're going to towards that direction, hopefully, um, where like young people can open some stuff and be successful. Um, but yeah, I think that's what we were always trying to do. Um, you know, this is our first restaurant, so it was very hard for us to. I mean, it was like good, a, a good and a bad thing. You know, it was good because we were able to create our own thing and just do it from scratch, learn and like kind of improve on what we were doing. The bad thing was that, you know, like it was a learn process. So like, you know, I th I feel that I was fortunate enough because when we opened Contra, I was 23. And so I've been able to grow with the restaurant somehow in that regard where like I see it, you know, when I was 23 and when we opened, it probably wasn't the best that it could have been. But, you know, I think it's like an evolution. And, you know, I th like right now, you know, I'm really proud of where both places are. And I'm I'm glad that there was that learning experience that you know taught us how to become our own people in the restaurants that we have. What's changed between the you of 23 years old and the you of how old are you? 27. 27. Yeah. So which is like as far you're still a baby. I just want to put this out here. Like I am old <laughs> and decrepit, and you are a young, youthful sprite. But like, yeah, <laughs> my soul is gone, but my my the shell is still like. Young. You're 27. You've opened two restaurants. Like you've you've been living in this business for a long time. What's changed about who you are since then? I think when when we opened, uh, we were very stubborn on a lot of things, and you know I think we wanted to do things a certain way and like kind of be rebellious about it. I can, it's hard to say how I've changed. Um, it definitely feels more now, you know, thinking about the future and thinking about like the bigger picture and less about, I think when you're young and you're, you're a cook, it's very easy to kind of like, don't like, you don't think about, you know, the next three years or the next five years. You're just, your only mindset is, you know, you're cooking that night and it has to be the best night. And then the next day it's the same. So it's the same, it's the same, it's the same. And then you don't think about, you know, the longevity of, of the business or like how you can keep going. And I think, you know, now, a big emphasis of mine is, you know, how do we keep the restaurants relevant? How do we keep them changing and evolving and always trying to make them better? And kind of like, you know, what can we do to fit the whatever is happening now currently? You know, because the the setting is always changing. Um, and then, so yeah. 
How do you keep a restaurant relevant? Well, I think for me, it's you have to see what's out there. You know, I think my like the, the best thing is like to go out, eat, see what's new, what's going out there, and then like get your perspective on that, not copy, but understand what the what the play field is. You know, I think uh, in the past four years, the 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 level of dining has, or I mean, like the whole thing has changed so drastically. You know, but um, yeah, I mean, I think you just have to be out there and like you know be informed, see what people are doing, be interested. And I think that's what we do at the restaurant. You know, we we try to bring like a lot of friends from overseas to kind of keep the perspective fresh. You know, it's not that easy to travel um, when you have two restaurants, but it's easy to bring people and like kind of collaborate with them and get a different uh, feeling of what's happening around the world. Fab, can you break down your relationship creatively with Jeremiah? So you're are you always the the sweet and bread person, or do you ever? you know, work on the savory stuff? Um, so Contra is a little more divided. Uh, Contra, I'll do the desserts. Um, we'll take care of the bread. And then Jeremiah will do more of the savory. Uh, we, we'll talk about, we talk about the menu every time something changes. Uh, we'll try out dishes, give our perspective on it. Um, you know, sometimes he has a different point of view than I do. And sometimes it fits, you know, better than my idea. And so we'll switch it a bit. We'll turn it into something that, makes sense in the conversation of what the menu should be in that regard. And then while there is, is a little more uh, free form where he has some ideas, I have some ideas, you know, sometimes we'll try it out and um, it'll just become its own thing. Sometimes, you know, we'll just keep the, the original idea. Um, so co- while there is a little more collaborative, um, you know, the sous chefs help out with the dishes, they come up with their own ideas and then we see how they fit at the restaurant. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much how how it works. So how did you and Jeremiah hook up? Um, so I was, I went to school at FCI and he was working there at the time. And then I ended up staying there with, uh, I was working with Dave Arnold at the food tech uh, program. And then Jeremiah was doing all the special events in the school. So every time that Dave taught a class or every time um, we had like a, you know, Harold McGee would come in and Dave would teach a class with him. We would work with uh I would work with Jeremiah and the team of interns, and then that's how we started working together. Like after that, we just became like good friends. Um, another friend of ours, uh, Jeremy, was the the chef at the theater, and the three of us kind of like tackled all the events that would come into school and work together. Um, so yeah, that's how we met. Uh, we went to Europe at the, around the same time, so we kept in touch, and that's where the kind of idea of the restaurant started. So is it like, you know, there's like one drunken night and you were just like, all right, we're going to fucking do it. Like, let's do it. We're going to open a restaurant. Yeah, I, mean, I think I was we, we were having a conversation right before he left. And uh, my visa to stay in the States uh, was expiring at the time. And then we were talking. I was like, oh, you know, what's like, what, how can we get you to stay? And he was like, oh, I was like, oh, either I get married or we open a business. And then it was just like, uh, <laughs> we said, like, let's open an ice cream shop. And then we were just joking, but uh, like until it wasn't a joke. And like we just kept telling each other. I think we, you know, we're we're writing a book uh, right now and um, we were going through all of our emails uh, when we were opening like 2010, 2009. And I mean, we were already talking about the restaurant in 2010 and, you know, like, you know, like, let's do it, let's do it. And then we came back. We didn't have anything to do. So it was like, you know, let's do it. 
Why the Lower East Side? Uh, we were we were looking for about a year. We were looking in Chinatown. Uh, I live in the East Village. Jeremiah used to live in Soho. He lives in the Lower East Side now. But we were looking in Chinatown, East Village. Um, we looked in the West Village, and like we really didn't find anything. You know, it's kind of crazy, like seeing so many spaces and. We bumped into this place that was, it was nothing. It used to be a bodega and it was in really bad shape, but it just like the rent made sense. It was super cheap. It was in an area that was kind of like up and coming. Mission Chinese had just gotten there, I think, maybe opened like a little bit before us. Right. In its original location. In its original. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, then like we find out the Rosen Daughters was opening there and it just kind of made sense. Uh, it was more out of like necessity than honestly being like, this is the perfect spot. Let's open here. We just saw it and we're like, I mean, you know, after a hundred places. Your restaurants and Mission Chinese and Russ and Daughters, a few other places kind of turned the neighborhood around a little bit and made it kind of a dining destination. Whereas for a long time, it was where a lot of people go out on Friday and Saturday night, you know? It used to be, what was it, Hell Square or something? That, yeah. That that yeah. part of... The Lower East Side was but called so, it was just it's full beautiful, of you trashed know? Yeah. young people. I mean, I remember uh, coming to the States like in, I don't know, it must have been like 2006, 2007, and with my family, and I would tell my parents, oh, let's go to this place, WD-50, and we were staying in Times Square because we didn't know better, and it was like, you know, 30 minutes in a car, and you get it <laughs> to like the middle of nowhere. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like Wiley did something great. And he started something for us. And then it just kind of happened. You know, I, I, it's hard to say when it, it started happening. But, you know, like Mission Chinese popped up there. Then we were there. Uh, Russ and Daughters, Dirty French, uh, Funk 2. And, like, you know, the list just keeps getting longer and longer. So uh, you were born in Mexico City and grew up there. How did something like WD-50 enter your radar for, like, a family vacation as a kid? Being like, all right, I'm going to come to New York and make my parents go to this experimental restaurant in yeah. a desolate corner of the Lower East Side? Um, well, it's, I started I started cooking when I was 15. Um, my dad had a, a couple of friends with restaurants, and my friends' uh, grandparents had restaurants. So I started working in restaurants while I was figuring out what I wanted to do, um, you know, when I was finishing high school. Uh, my dad travels a lot, and, you know, he would take us to his trips a lot when we were kids. And, like, the biggest thing when we traveled, it was that him and my mom, they love eating out. And, uh, you know, it was always, like, an itinerary of restaurants that we had to go to. So I was always exposed to food in that regard, like, restaurants uh, when I was growing up. And I don't know how, like, I I, I think, like, I bought an El Bulli book when I was a kid. I was in a, in, a, in, a, in a bookshop, and, like, I saw this, like, gigantic book with, like, some weird photos and I just bought it it was so expensive <laughs> and I just started researching it and you know, I found out about WD-50 online and then you know we were coming to New York so I was like I don't know we gotta go I didn't know what to expect and we went what was it, was it like it was amazing it was so good um I miss I miss uh that place a lot when it was open, I feel like it was one of the most divisive restaurants in New York. Like people were either ride or die for it. They were like, I had to go get a slice of fucking pizza afterwards because right. I was still hungry, you know? You know, I think if you're going to Alinea, you already know that you're going to Alinea. You know that you're going to have like a crazy surreal experience and you're going to pay for it. But, you know, if you go to the Lower East Side and it's only like $75, then like, I think the expectation changes and it's it, it's a bit confusing. And, you know, we, we went through the same problem 
you know, at some point where like you try to define yourself where like, you know, are you an experience or are you trying to feed people? And it's kind of hard to be in the middle of that. Um, well, you guys started at what, $55? $55, yeah. $55 is what a lot of New Yorkers spend at a bistro or their neighborhood place on an appetizer and an entree on a given night, you know, but yeah. a tasting menu is very different and, uh, you know, it's sophisticated and it's an experience and it's a tourist thing. Um, so, I mean, I think that was really interesting that you guys kind of got in at this price point that was, New Yorkers were already very comfortable with spending, but did you guys face any pushback on like the, the tasting menu idea, like the guest perception? Uh, the, the problems that we have is that, you know, like I said, when, when you're that, when you're that affordable, the expectations are like super different and you don't like people, some people go there because it's cheap. So like, you know, they don't know if they should expect, you know, something weird because I mean, why would you get something like weird and creative at like that price point? Like it doesn't make any sense. And then, so I think that was mostly, that was most of the pushback. Um, you know, I think things have changed. I think people's perspectives on you change once you get reviewed, once you get all these things, once you become kind of more established and you get a chance to, I mean, you don't have to prove yourself anymore, so you can just do things a little different. Um, but yeah, I think that's the only pushback we ever got. Uh, I mean, the tasting menu thing worked great for us. You know, I think. Yeah, I mean, right now it's, it's it still works for us, and you know, I think we've only raised our prices what it's twelve dollars in four years, um, so I think we're still pretty affordable uh, for what it is. It's, it's a huge value, I think, especially compared to what a lot of other restaurants that are not uh, tasting menu charge for an entree or whatever. Yeah, I mean, hopefully that's the yeah. Have you ever thought about just blowing it out and being like, "All right, guys, two hundred and fifty bucks a head. That's it. This is the new price. Here's what we're doing." I mean, at some point. Especially when we started Wild there, we, I mean, we were we were thinking, you know, it's like you, you always think about, you know, if you're opening a more casual place next door, should you make the the other place that's already casual like a little more upscale, you know, like we the question was there when we were looking at the space, we were like, should we move Contra to this place and like make it get a little smaller, make it a little more expensive, do it a little fancier, and then at some point we were like, nah, like. I don't know. It's like I'm not that kind of person. Like I, the, like the reason I, why we did this is because I enjoy going to restaurants like Chateaubriand or Septim, or you know places that you can just pop in and like have an interesting meal for like an hour or two, and you don't have to feel like you're going to an experience. You know, I mean, I still love going to restaurants like that. You know, I think it's interesting and I think it's something everyone should do and like it's well deserved in its own place. But I think it's. For me, it's it's become the the thing where I I I would rather serve more people, and like still do something that's quality and something that's interesting, than like being something very niche and like charging two hundred dollars and you know not being able to reach as many people. Um, you know, I like I like places that are loud and that are fun and that a lot of people go to. So like you know, I would rather you guys come five times a week to Wild there than like one time, you know, a year to, you know, our $300 restaurant. I would very happily go five times a week to Wild. We have people who come two, three, like we have people who come five nights a week to both restaurants. Not wow. like at the same time, but yeah. Our um, One of our colleagues, Daniela Galarza, one yeah. of Eater.com's editors, was saying when we mentioned that we were about to come in an interview, she was like, tell 
him that I want to be at Wilder every single day. And I, I was think like, she me was, too. She was there, uh, was it yes? No, two days ago. <laughs> and then she came to Contra last week. So that's what I mean. You know, I think it's 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 fun to to see people that you like and that you enjoy be at your restaurants and not. You know, I think like the expectations of uh, like going to a restaurant that's $300, like I just don't want to, like that's a burden that I like I don't want. I would much rather like make sure that you guys have a good time you know, like have it be casual and relaxed and not so like, you know, uh, put where's my jacket? Where's the car? Like we have to be there right now. It's like, you know, a little too hectic. I mean, it's also hectic for us. You know, it's not only on the consumer side. Like, like I, I want something that's a little more fun. And I think, you know, Jeremiah is the same way. We like places that are fun and that we can go back to. And, you know, you really want to, you know, the food's the food. But, you know, a, a place without the people, without the ambience, without the feeling of like it being a place, like it's not it's not a restaurant. That's an experience. It's like going to the theater or, you know going to something that's only you're only going to go like once or twice a year. One of the the things that you and Jeremiah have done at Contra is set up this incredible program of chefs from all over the world coming in and cooking. How does I, I, I I'm guessing it's just like you're like friends and you're like let's come hang out, but it's become a really cool thing for all of us on the eating side. Did cool. you yeah. mean to be kind of a clubhouse? I mean, yeah, when we when we opened, we had this idea. I mean, and there were already people who were doing it. I've always thought, you know, like, you can go work. And, like, this is something I learned going to spend some time at these restaurants is that you can go stage at Naoma for six months. But if you're only interested in, like, their ice cream recipe or, like, you know, like, getting all their, like, notes and everything, then you really miss the, the part that makes cooking really unique. And I think getting to know the people that are cooking the food, it's very interesting. And, you know, becoming friends with them and having that relationship. And I think that's what's very special about um, the dinners that we do at, at Contra. We, I mean, we only we only invite our friends to come over. Uh, you know, we get, r- like, some, like, random people ask us if, if we should do a dinner. And it's just kind of weird for me to do something like that with someone you don't know because you really don't know what's going to, what's it going to be or, like, if there's anything in common. And so it was, it's really special to have these people that, you know, that you're friends with, you haven't seen in years, and they've all accomplished so much, and you get to do something very special with them. Everyone is willing to be there, and everyone's willing to participate in whatever's going on. So I think, like, the energy is always, I mean, for me, it's always, like, so special, because that's what you want, you know, you want people who want to be there. And, you know, we achieve those things um, when we do, when we do that. And do you also make all the... um do you also make all the flyers and stuff that we see on Instagram for these? And yeah. your Instagram feed is pretty special, I'd say, actually. Um, I mean, it Thanks. seems like you're <laughs> kind of playing around with some, I mean, pretty sophisticated uh, graphic design skills there. What's your you? Instagram for our listeners to want to check out? Uh, Fabian VHB, F-A-B-I-A-N-V-H-B. Uh, yeah. I don't know. That's what I get. I, I, all the time I get it. Some people say it's really weird. Some people like it. So it's very, I feel like it's the it's the WD-50 of Instagrams. <laughs> like it's very divisive. I, I highly recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I used to, uh, when I was in high school, I used to play in a band and I was like, I wanted to study philosophy. I wanted to study graphic design. I wanted to study music and I didn't know what to do. Um, but I really got into graphic design at some point and then... Um, I stopped doing it, and then when we when we did our first dinner, I just like uh, 
Jeremiah was like, well, why don't we do like a, it was like a concert flyer or something. We were doing our pop-up and we're like, why don't we do a flyer or something? And then I think I like, I stole like one of like Black Flag's uh, flyers from like <laughs> way back in the day. And I just did a, like a Contra pop-up flyer. And uh, yeah, it just became a thing. And, you know, I tried, I tried to do my best with my average, average skills. And they're not like, but it's not like Instagram bait. Like, it's not like a unicorn donut or whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think I, I, I'm lucky enough to be surrounded with a, a good bunch of people who are very interested in things that, you know, aren't uh, necessarily food, you know, like, uh, you know, a lot of our cooks are into the music I listen to or, you know, like, um, you know, go to the museum with like most of them, uh, you know, so we talk about those things and it kind of forms this, uh, aesthetic that you know hopefully it's unique to the restaurant uh you know I, we always we only, we encourage people to have their own hobbies and like hopefully you know have their own thing outside of cooking because i think it's very important uh for someone to have something else other than just like the one thing they're doing for me it's graphic design you know i i love you know, I love looking like at fonts for day like i could look at my computer for fonts like for hours and hours and hours and hours um so yeah i mean it's something i really enjoy do you have a favorite font? Uh, the one for a while there, which is called uh, Nua Drojki. It's really good. I like yeah. that. Did yeah. you, are, are, were you responsible for the typography for Wilder and Contra? I sent it to my brother, and my brother did the, the logo. Uh, my brother's a graphic designer. So, Fab, as uh, someone who is not just a creative chef and a graphic designer, but as someone who is an employer of many people in the restaurant industry, as someone who is an immigrant in America and someone who is very connected and, and to the New York scene, just kind of curious what conversations you're having with your staff or with other restaurateurs um, with this new political regime that we're under, or if that hasn't changed, just kind of curious if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah. I mean, you know, when, when I saw it all happening, you know, before the election, I was like, I mean, it was weird. You know, I never thought it was going to happen. But it happened and uh, the day off, I mean, it was just like tragic, um, you know, like you felt it in the restaurant. People weren't the same. I, st I still don't think people are the same. Uh, Did people not come? Think, Did it slow down at the restaurants? That's what I heard about New York. I wasn't there, but. The day of the election or the day after the election was the saddest day I've seen in a long time. Uh, you know, and like that was the weirdest thing. People would like the people that would come in are people who were friends and like they clearly wanted somewhere where they would forget about it and not think about it. But I mean, like that's what everyone talked about. Um, I mean, for me, it was very concerning because I wasn't I mean, at first, I guess we no one understood what was happening. Um, I try to be as informed as I could. You know, like I don't think I've ever read the news this much. Uh, and I, you know, I don't think I've I've talked to my lawyer as much. I try to stay informed, not just because of me, but like you know, I have both of my siblings are here, my sisters in school here, so I wanted to be informed uh, for her. I wanted to be informed for the immigrants we have at the restaurant. You know, well, right now we have uh, a couple of guys from Venezuela, uh, Canadian. They're all legal, but still, you know, you still want to be informed just to see what would happen. And uh, I mean, it is concerning. You know, I think um, our industry. I mean, the food industry hasn't been the easiest to kind of like, you know, if you if you go to college, if you get a master's, if you get a degree or of some sorts, then like it's very easy for you to apply for a visa to get a, a job somewhere or like to prove that you actually have the knowledge of uh, of doing something. Whereas like a, as a cook, it's not that easy. 
I mean, you know, you apply for a visa and they're like, you know, there's a thousand cooks in, in New York alone. You know, there's millions in the States. Why, why do we need you? Like, why are you necessary for this environment? Um, That's the, the 1B visa, right? Where it's, it's yeah, like you have to be an exceptional alien yeah, you and have you have to, to write like, about why you're fantastic. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy, you know, like when, when, I was, when I was looking into opening the restaurant, I went through all of this like things and like nothing was viable for me except for uh, – uh, getting an investor visa. So I had to borrow money from a family, like invest the money and then like pay it back, but then like prove that I had invested in in, in a business here uh, to kind of stay. Um, you know, it's weird. Because I, I have like friends of ours had applied for an O one one visa and they've gotten it pretty easy. Uh, for me, it wasn't that easy. Like I just recently applied for my green card based on the special skills like a couple of months ago and it's uh, getting processed right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not the easiest trade to work as an immigrant because, you know, you really have to prove yourself. Uh, you know, if you're a model, if you're an actress, if you're an actor, if you're a, a writer, if you're a designer, then it's very easy to prove that, you know, you were doing something very special in Mexico or, you know, Europe. And then like, you know, the states need you. The states need someone who who's really good at what they do. Um I mean, I'm still worried. I I think I it's it's very hard to understand what's uh what's really happening, because it seems that anything could happen at any point now. But uh, you know, I think I'm I'm trying to to stay well informed. Uh, you know, I've definitely it's crossed my mind what you know what the worst case scenario could be. I don't think it's happening because I think you know we're going towards the right direction. Uh, it's, I mean, in in this case. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. You know, I've I've lived in the states for about ten years now, and I think I've never thought about moving back home up up until maybe a couple of months ago. Um, so it's interesting. You know, my my sister is graduating, and she's going through all this stuff. She doesn't know if she can stay here. She doesn't know if she has to go back home. But it's just kind of weird to to have that idea that you might have to leave or that you might have to go back or something. Your parents are still in Mexico City? Yeah, both my parents are still back home. How do they feel about all of this? Uh, you know, my father's a businessman, so he's very like, uh, he's very like, you know, business is business. He's not gonna let anything affect us. But like, at the same time, you know, my mom is more like the sensitive one. So she's always like, oh, you know, what's gonna happen? What's this? Um, I mean, the economy in Mexico is really bad right now. Um, so going back home wouldn't be the best thing either. Um, I think the economy of the entire world is, you know, a little loose. Um, all the social, political environment is very loose right now everywhere. So, I mean, yeah, I think everyone's worried, but, you know, I think we're trying to make the best of it. And, you know, as, as restaurateurs, you know, that's what, uh, that's what I, I try to tell all my staff, you know, I, I think one of my sous chefs, um, I posted something on Instagram or Facebook or something, but I was really worried and, you know, I'm usually the one who's like uh, making jokes or like doing something, you know, to make people have an enjoyable time. And, you know, the day after it, I was just completely wiped out and I didn't, you know, I didn't say a word and I would just stay to myself, didn't do anything. And, you know, my sous chef sent me a message and he was like, you know, we all have your back. You know, everything's going to be fine. And I kind of realized, you know, like as, as restaurants and this, uh, this goes back to the idea of, of being a place where you want to foster a good environment, I think. For us, like our job is to give people a place where they can forget about their problems, where they can just come in for a couple of hours, um, you know, have some good food, have some good wine, um, just trying to give them the best time they have, they could have. And, you know, that's what we try to do. Just keep it, uh, yeah, keep it like the little cheers, uh, cheers. Of keep the it light. Side yeah, keep it light. Food. Keep it light. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah, with with the best loaf of bread in New York City. Oh, uh, I, we are we are closing in on on the portion of the show that we call the lightning round. But before we do that, I, I feel like we need to take a good sixty seconds to praise your bread. Thank you. So at Contra and at Wild Air, on both menus, there's an option for bread, yep. and it's like four dollars for yeah, bread? three dollars at uh, Contra, four dollars at Wild Air. Yeah, and it and what you get is not like some shitty basket of restaurant bread. It is a perfect, beautiful boule of sourdough that is like it cracks open and it's steaming and it's like it's it's pornographically beautiful bread. Thank you. And I love it. Where's the sourdough starter from? Um, so um, when we opened, uh, I, I hired a, my pastry guy, uh, Cody Margwine out there, if you're listening when this comes out, uh, we hired him and uh, he used to be an intern at John George when I was there. And um, I don't know, like I just got really along with him and we work really great together. Uh, when we were opening, we wanted to do a bread and we were trying all, out all these things. Um, so we started our own starter. It's pretty young. Uh, the whole idea with the bread is that it's as neutral as it can be. Um, so it doesn't get on the way of the, of the food. Um, you know, like the one rule is that it has to be hot. It has to be crusty. It has to be soft in the middle. Um, so that's where it started. Uh, we use all bread flour, um, nothing like no fancy grains or no fancy. I mean, we use good flour, but just like, you know, bread flour. Um, and it's a pretty young starter. So we make a, it's a mix between a baguette and a sourdough. Um, it's kind of adapted on like a bunch of recipes from FCI and CIA where um, Cody went to school. And we kind of just messed around with it for months before we opened. And um, thankfully it became something that's, you know, <laughs> acceptable oh in God. some regard. It's making uh, me so hungry just thinking about it. How often do you feed it? Every every day except for the weekends. Yeah. If you're not um, familiar with the world of sourdough starters, beautiful like upsell kid. listeners, it's it's crazy. It's a crazy world. They need lots of loving care. They need a lot of love, yeah. <laughs> well, Fab, it's okay. Now Now that we've taken our moment to praise your bread, it is time for the lightning round. Lightning round. Okay. And today, we have Melissa McCart, who is the editor of Eater New York, which is Greg's old job. <laughs> Melissa, welcome to the upsell. I understand you have some questions for Fab. What's your dessert for dinner crowd pleaser? Oh. God, I don't even. I don't even think I've ever been to a dinner party. Uh, Move to LA. I would say I would make. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I would say I make. I would make like a some sort of meringue dessert. Yeah. Really. Yeah, meringue's my favorite dessert. Uh, meringue, whipped cream, some ice cream, fruit. Why is it uh, your favorite? Uh, my mom used to make meringues all the time when I was a kid. Uh, meringues are a huge thing in Mexico. You get all these weird, like, huge meringues with whipped cream in the middle. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, like, crunchy, sweet, soft. Like, it has everything. Cool. I always find meringues very intimidating to make. I've never tried. but They're, they're pretty easy. I'm intimidated by them as a diner because I, I feel like you oftentimes eat um, bad meringues more than good meringues. But maybe it's... Uh, yeah, some people hate them. Yeah. Which is surprising. Well, sometimes they taste dirty, like the, yeah. the, dirty the egg meringue flavor. That's like a Wu Tang well, you know, like... Clan name or something. Dirty meringue. <laughs> That's another T-shirt right there. Yeah. Dirty meringue. Dirty meringue. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like sometimes you'll get like that egg white flavor. That's like a little like like dishwatery. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, but I yeah okay meringues at a dinner party. Meringues. I can't believe you've never been to a dinner party though. Yeah, I mean maybe I have, but you know I yeah. 
I don't know. We need to people. Let's have in, a dinner party. Let's do it. Let's. Yeah. In, well, we have to. You can't be. You have to attend. You said you've never been. To, so like. I'll make. I'll make meringue. You just okay, have you to bring, bring a bottle of wine, and, and Helen and I will uh, figure the rest out. We'll do yeah. the cooking. All right. We'll we'll make some meringue. We can have like a dinner via Skype. It'll be. Helen is a dinner party master. She has all these ideas and rules about the. I think, I think it's not so much that I'm a dinner party master. I'm actually very bad at it. I'm just a, a dinner party control freak. You have a lot of opinions is, about it, but that's, you know, yeah. I think that's masterful. Uh, well, okay. Yeah. Um, do we have another question, uh, Melissa, for, for Fab? What do you think of a woman wearing perfume in a restaurant? Yay or nay? Nay. What about men? Nay. No perfume in restaurants. Nay. No sense. Yeah. All right. That was quick and easy. All right, Melissa, next. If you had to live inside a video game, which one would it be? Contra. Is that what the restaurant is named after? Uh, it's hard to say at this point. <laughs> but no, it's uh, it's named after a, a friend's band, but uh, I love Contra as well. Yeah? Contra or Battletoads. Same game, just different. Uh, how often do you play video games? Uh, how often do I play games? Yeah. I try to go to Dave & Buster's at least once a year. What? Really? Yeah. Yeah. Dave & Buster's a What's your game at Dave & Buster's? Uh, air hockey. I mean, it's not a, really a video game, but air hockey is my... Oh my gosh, that should yeah. be your third restaurant. Should be like Wild Air with Air hockey theme. Yeah, Wild Air with it video should, games. Wild Air arcade. Be like Chuck E. Cheese for grownups, but trust me, good. I, yeah, I've thought about this. This is amazing. <laughs> I maybe this is the best idea in the world. You should totally do this. Please do this. Yeah, Air just, hockey and like really good bread. Some wine and some wine. Just add an air hockey just table let, to Wild Just there. put an air hockey in the middle. Yeah. yeah, that'd be easier, maybe. And you could have the robot band, but they just play really good music, you know? <laughs> it's, yeah. No, yeah. That would probably be the greatest restaurant in the world. Have to be. Yeah, number one next year. Yeah, just, just, wait just like it. blowing off the Pellegrino list. It's yeah. like, no, nah, like, screw you, 11 Madison Park and Osteria Francescana. We have air hockey and natural wine. Well, they're Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, the natural air wine, Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Melissa, do we have another question? If you could open your next restaurant anywhere but New York City, where would that be? Oof, that's a tough one. Uh, I would probably say Paris or L.A. Paris or L.A. Paris or L.A. Good, uh, I feel like those are good, good cities. answers. Good cities. Yeah. Big fan of both of those cities. But are yeah. you guys, so you guys are working on a cookbook. Are you like circling around the idea of a, another restaurant or two and a cookbook is good for uh, now? I mean, we, we've, we've always, we, we, we're talking about the, the prospect, um, nothing set in stone, but, uh, you know, I think New York is, uh, the interesting thing about New York is that you really, you know, you see all these group of people who are successful. And I think the, the reason why they're successful is because they keep moving, um, you know, people like the, uh, you know, Teresi and Carbone are like an inspiration. Uh, Johnny and Vinny are good friends. And, you know, I really admire what they do there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, everything's a fair game for now. We're we're definitely trying to, you know, keep the both of places that we have the best they can. Um, you know, if we see there's an opportunity for another thing, then, you know, Definitely talk about it. I mean, now with the arcade uh, air hockey thing. Oh, yeah. You know, I, that's... Okay. I yeah, you got to light a fire. Bang, yeah. You know? I feel pressure. Yeah. I am, like, 100% serious that that would be I think the greatest version of all time. I think it would work. It would do really well. It would be the successful uh, Senior Frogs of New York. Yeah, right? I mean, it would be perfect. You would do it in Times Square. You'd be the first good take, Times Square restaurant. Take Senior Frogs. Yeah. yeah. That space is empty. That's cool. True. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just oh. make it a 500-seat oh. natural wine bar. <laughs> I think New York is ready for that. Yeah. Melissa, ask us another question. 
What is your favorite dessert that's also the least Instagrammable? Oof. Least and most Instagrammable dessert? I don't know. I mean, I think you guys would know better than I would. Do you think about Instagram when you're putting desserts together? No. The, the chocolate more, um, my, I, I, The chocolate tart at Wild Air is all over Instagram now. Yeah, you know, it was weird because I um, I remember uh, Tejal Rao was the first, Ryan to, uh, first one to kind of uh, make the connection between the tart and the poop emoji. Oh, uh, uh, yeah. And then, yeah, I guess it became a thing. We actually just changed it, and some people were very uh, angry about it. So maybe Because we'll, it doesn't we'll look change. like a poop emoji anymore? Yeah. It reminds me of like that dessert of Cosme that everyone loves, too, the big meringue. A meringue, again. The, the meringue, meringue. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, maybe this the colors and the shape of it shouldn't be pretty, but it is, you know? Like, yeah, it's weird because that dessert is like a, you see it and you you don't really understand how they came up with it. Like, it's just like it just feels like it fell there and it just looks, you know, it looks abstract and it looks like I think that's I love looking photos of, of that dessert. It's just like, you know, it's, it's very, visually like, striking. Like what the hell is going on on this plate? kind yeah. of thing, which is uh, fascinating. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know if I have an answer for that question. Uh, I guess uh, donuts. Donuts are Donuts pretty... look good on Instagram. Yeah. Worse, uh, I don't know. What looks bad? Uh, I think anything can look bad, no? Yeah. Shiny, Donuts yeah. can look bad, too. Maybe... Yeah, what does look bad? I don't know. I personally think photos of milkshakes are gross for some reason. I don't know why. Drinks and anything that's, that's like, beverage Liquid. adjacent is difficult. Yeah. Because you're really taking a picture of the glass. Yeah. You know, it's a whole... Let's go with that. Milkshake and donuts. Uh, Worst and best. Milkshake and donuts. Melissa, what's the next question for Fab? What's your deal with pineapples and pina coladas? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, when I uh, I was joking around with our friend, um, he's a chef at uh, Canlis, and uh, I was I, I don't know why I like I was joking with him months ago, and I told him that I really like pina coladas. I didn't at the time like pina coladas. I mean, I didn't dislike them, but I didn't like them. And then, uh, you know, when we ate, went to eat at Canlis, we did a dinner with our friend Brady. Uh, we went to eat there, and the first thing they brought out was this massive uh, golden pineapple, <laughs> and it was filled with a uh, pina colada, and it kind of just became. Uh, our thing, and then me and Jeremiah keep going to this bar called uh, Suffolk Arms. I don't know if you guys have ever been, but it's great. Uh, it's one of our neighbors, and their pina coladas are great. And yeah, I don't know. It's just it, it was it, it's like an acquired taste as of late. Uh, I guess I was trying to find my thing, and pina coladas are my. It sounds thing like now. an acquired taste that became a running joke or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or vice or the other. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's cool. I mean, a, a good a pina, pina coladas, coladas are good. You know, trust me. Now, I've you know, it's. The nuances between pina coladas are there. Yeah. And a good pina colada is a good pina colada. So That's tell us tell us how to... I can't hear the word pina colada without thinking about that song, though. You know? Don't do this to us, Greg. You're yeah. going to get it stuck in all of our heads. Well, you know the one, now. And getting lost Oh, my God. You've rain. done it. Oh, no, no. Well, okay. To, to get that earworm out of all of our brains forever, um, tell us how to make a perfect pina colada. Well, it has to be blended all throughout. So if it's icy, it's not good. Uh, the amount of coconut and pineapple has to be very exact because you want it to be milky but you want it to be fruity and acidic as well and of course the rum I mean I don't know the exact proportions I'm still trying to figure out how to make a good one so if you see a pina colada on the menu at Contra soon you know we're trying to we're trying to get there 
All right. Trying to get there. Well, we'll keep an eye out for pina coladas on the menu at Contra. That'll be the main drink at the Chuck E. Cheese restaurant, I think. You know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And that actually works super well. Yeah. Like yeah. You, like pina colada in one hand, air hockey thing in the other. And natural wine on. Uh, we'll we'll make like a, a thing where you can carry. It's a natural yeah. wine like a cooler that tastes like pina coladas. Yeah. Oh yes. Yeah. Just mix pina colada <laughs> in with natural wine. That's not going to be gross. Pina spritz. That could actually be pretty good. A natural yeah. wine cooler is like a, another take it to the bank idea, you know? Because wine coolers oh, are coming back. Yeah. Seltzer is super cool. Natural wine is super cool. Blend them together. What better way to totally Profit. ruin the, the perfect qualities of natural wine than by mixing in all this other stuff, you know? You say ruin. I say make significantly make it better. better. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, Fab, thanks so much for joining us on the Eater Upsell. Thanks um, for having me. If our listeners want to hang out with you, they can drop by Contra or Wild Air on the Lower East Side of Manhattan, or they can find you on Instagram. Tell us your handle again. Uh, Fabian VHB, F-A-B-I-A-N-V-H-B. Yeah. And really, really quick, do you guys have any more guest dinners coming up that you know that people should know about? Uh, yeah, we're working on uh, bringing uh, our friend Dan Hunter from uh, Bray in uh, in Australia. I think he's going to be doing his cookbook release with uh, Fiden later in May. So um, just working out the kinks. Uh, we'll probably put the date out there soon. Um, working on some different stuff. Uh, Wilder's anniversary is coming soon, so we'll probably bring someone fun uh, to that, uh, which Wilder is always interesting. It's a little more loose than uh, Contra. Uh, but uh, yeah, I'll keep you guys posted and we'll have some cool things coming up. Cool. Thanks for joining yeah, us. Thanks for Thank joining us, man. The Eater Upsell is recorded at Vox Media Studios in Manhattan and Los Angeles. Your hosts are me, Helen Rosner, and Greg Morabito, that other guy whose voice you hear on every episode. Our executive producer is Maureen Giannone. Our associate producer and editor is Daniel Janine. Our editorial producer is Monica Burton. Our studio team is Miles Ewell, Alex Ulreich, Paige Bethman, and Stephanie Broderick. And our editor-in-chief and fearless leader is Amanda Clute. But of course, of all of these people, the one who makes all of this possible, without whom none of this could exist, without whom we would just wither and die, is you, dear listener. You. Thank you for listening to what we do here, and thank you for being your beautiful self.